Today on Karina and Kirsten Get to Work, we're talking about happierness, which has taken 2024 by storm, friends. Mm-hmm. Welcome. You heard that right. Happierness. Welcome to Karina and Kirsten Get to Work. I am Karina Hoyer. And I'm Kirsten Barron. And we are here to talk to you about women and work because... Gosh darn it. I was going to say, I was going to start cussing right off the bat. <laughs> and I thought maybe I should just wait. Maybe I should give everyone just a minute to get Friends, warmed up here. Friends, there's been a little bit of cussing with Crean and I in our little prep time, just so you know. <laughs> like, I can't help myself. Okay, anyway, we are here because we want, gosh darn it. Ease, meeting, and joy. For women at work, all of you out there, every single one of you, ease, meaning, and joy. We're going to talk about how to do that and how to be happier here from the land of Lummi Nation and Nooksack Tribe. Right? Did I loop it all in? You got it. Did I we get got it all? It. Nice introduction, friend. Thank you. Coming from you and that attitude you got over there. I know. I got an attitude today. <laughs> I've got an attitude, hence all the cussing and first the cursing. Words, first words out of your mouth when she walked into the studio today. First freaking words were... I hate everybody. <laughs> uh, yeah. Laughity. Laugh, 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 laugh. I hate everybody. I am irritated with everybody. You name that, I'm irritated. And what did I say? Do you remember what I asked you? I said, oh, is that about them? Or yes. About- <laughs> that's the first thing you said. Is that about them or is that about you? I'm like, well, of course it's about me. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. The good news is you did give me a, a caveat. You said, I hate everybody but you. I did. I said, I hate everybody but you. you yeah. To, at least so far. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm working up to it though. <laughs> at least so far. I was working so with your equipment a minute ago and I thought, I thought for no, sure I'd gonna, like to No, I really over. appreciated that. Thank oh, you. You're yeah. Welcome. Thank you so much. No, but I am... Um, we'll be living through this episode with KB's <laughs> irritated at everybody. Yeah. This when it is not really about anybody but KB. Yeah, I know, right? That's all kind of part of it. Um, it is going to be a fun episode to talk about what really do we mean by happier. And th- man, there's a lot of research out there. There's a recent book that's been done. There's been a podcast that we listen to. But can I just start by saying, talking about my just brief experience at the co-op the that other is day. a happierness moment yeah or delight yeah. talk oh delight oh delight delight let's talk about that maybe first well let's do it so you know i as i said in the last episode i really try and get a word that kind of defines my year and i've been thinking about seeing you know seeing being aware mm-hmm. right noticing and then my friend Anne marie sent me this New York Times article about delight, yes, which is like seeing with like sparkly happiness, right? And I was like, oh, that's it, the word delight. So now we have delight. So tell me what delighted you what was at delight- the co-op. When you sent me that, or when you texted me that article, I'd already read it, but I was like, yes, we're going to do it. We're going to do this. And I wanted to text you. I've been meaning to text you a delightful moment every day and I haven't. Oh my gosh, what a great idea. But I kind of want this, that to be one of our things. text a delightful moment you just uh, the picture whatever so yeah no gratitude journal just a delight journal just delight journal and it's gonna live in your text message strand excellent with me but my delightful moment was i was at the co-op just grabbing a lunch the other day and i saw a woman from behind who had a striking resemblance to our brand new mayor who is a woman and it was a moment where I had two, I had two thoughts. I kind of paused and I almost went up and said hello to her and I didn't. And it turns out it wasn't her. But I, when I paused, I thought, oh, I wonder if that's Kim or Mayor Lund now. 
And then the other thought was, holy crap. Holy crap. That could be me. She is your contemporary. She, she is your gender. She is your age bracket. She's your life situation, kids, all the stuff. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it was a very powerful moment in that it was rare. I think it struck me that the mayor looked and looked like me, had a similar life experience as me. And that was so incredible and it gave me goosebumps. And then I was like, holy crap. And this is unique. Yeah. It's so rare. And, and I don't, there's, I feel like that's like a, this multi-layered like snapshot moment, the snapshot moment turned into this multi-layered like contemplation for me as I like to do. Um, <laughs> getting your lunch at the co-op just like, hmm, and thinking, taking a deep dive yes, into, a, into like, Oh my God. And so I guess it was, I mean, it absolutely was a delightful moment and I'm not sure which part of it seeing, but I think it was really the impact that had on me. Mm-hmm. seeing my contemporary in a position mm-hmm. of leadership. And then I guess the other delightful moment is thinking about how, how much we, you and I, I, you, others like, uh, you know, other women do that for each other. Yes. Yep. And then it also brings me back to this idea that everybody needs that, mm-hmm. right? That's why Barack Obama was so powerful when he came into office, you know, oh my gosh, you know, people of color, Black people can see a black president in that role, see themselves, right? Yeah. And it is interesting. We talk about that a lot. I have seen, quote unquote, myself and all kinds of women leaders, but candidly, very few that have been kind of like me. Yeah. They've been quite a bit older or whatever. Their situations are really different. Yes. So I know exactly what you mean. That idea of look at look at her do that. She can do that. And, so can I. And so can I. And I see myself. Yeah. 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 So that was, I was quite delighted and perhaps happier. And perhaps happier for it. Perhaps happier so for it. So you started out with a happier moment and I started out with an opportunity. To get happier. For more happier. Yeah. You were, yeah. And yeah. of course, and now you, you're, this is, you went, as you tend to do, went down a rabbit hole on this one. You went deep. You ordered the book. I read the book. I listened to the podcasts. I did some research. I really dug. She doesn't sleep, by the way. (laughs) I do sleep. I do. I swear I do. Because it's part of being happier Mm -hmm. to sleep, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But I really, I like the process, the deliberate and intentional process of, of of the title of this book, really, which is Build the Life You Want, The Art and Science of Getting Happier. So we got Oprah. Everybody knows who Oprah is. She's amazing. She's still amazing. She's always amazing. It's shocking how amazing she is. And there's this Arthur Brooks guy who is a social scientist (laughs) at Kennedy School of Business, Harvard. And by the way, every time I say Arthur Brooks, I keep thinking Albert Brooks, the comedian. Yeah. Right. So I just have to tell you, sometimes I might mess that up, but we are not talking about Albert Brooks the comedian, we're talking about Arthur Brooks, the renowned social scientist at Harvard. Okay. Just to be clear. Let's be clear. Anyway, the book is about being happier, not being happy, Mm -hmm. but being happier. Yep. And the concept is that you're creating happierness in your life. Right. And shocker of all shockers, uh, Oprah and Albert identify 
three things <laughs> that are the components of happiness, enjoyment, satisfaction, and meaning. Yeah, sounds a hell of a lot like ease, it's, meaning, and joy. Doesn't it? Just like a little, I read that and I was like, hmm, very interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Again, confirmation of our brilliance. Confirmation. <laughs> <laughs> or is it confirmation bias? I can't figure that. Regardless. It's, it's confirmation of our brilliance. And I think, you know, when you when we first started talking about this, the thing that was kind of, I think, really cemented it for me, c- cemented this concept of happier, mm-hmm. was that happy is, is a destination that is unattainable. And frankly, you don't want to attain that. If you were happy all the time, you wouldn't know it mm-hmm. because you need the opposite emotions in order to identify. Mm-hmm. Happiness is not a destination that you arrive to. And if you ever do and have it consistently, you're not going to know where the heck you are. It's something that you just pass through. Right. Happiness is something you pass through. And if we were always happy and we didn't have negative emotions, we wouldn't be probably alive or safe. Right. Because our negative emotions do a lot for us. Mm-hmm. If we're afraid, maybe there's a reason for that. If there's something we need to learn, that discomfort can teach us. So we do need those negative emotions. The issue is how long do we dwell there and how do we move ourselves more into happierness. Yeah, more consistently mm-hmm. feeling the positive emotions rather than the negative. And it and it turns out we need to be doing this a heck of a lot more now than ever. It's bizarre. It is wild. People are unhappier. Yeah. Like compared to, you know, several decades ago in the 80s and 90s, people are less happy yeah and and we know that because people can identify their feelings about 90 percent of the Which time just with accuracy just remember that 10 percent of the time we don't know what we're feeling <laughs> see like you're all like oh i think it's really good that people can do it 90 percent of the time that's surprising to me and i was like 10 percent of the time we don't know what we're feeling okay fine yeah and and but the um amount of time that we spend with these sort of negative emotions or the the I guess that's a way the best way to put it. Not amount of time, but the amount, yeah, how often we experience a negative emotions definitely has increased since the 80s. And it's not because we're not getting, it's not because we're not good at identifying those emotions. Right. It's because we're not happier. We're less mm-hmm. happier, mm-hmm. right? And he identifies uh, that it, this has been going on since the 80s and there is a direct correlation to social media. Or the 90s, early 90s, late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. And he equates our unhappiness unhappiness to yep, to social media. Social media. Because there's, as he says, there's a lot of neuroscience behind this concept that when you're bored or you're lonely mm-hmm. and you start looking at your devices or on your phone, mm-hmm. you actually get more bored and more lonely. Yeah. It's really interesting. And so and just for um, reference point, ordinarily, he was saying 30 percent of the people would say that they were very happy about their lives and 15 percent would say they're not happy. And ever since the late 80s, early 90s, those numbers have flipped now with a big shift after the pandemic, with a big shift after the pandemic, the pandemic really moved people to flip those numbers. And so now about 30 percent are like, I'm not happy. And only 15 percent say they're very, happy. very happy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we got some work to do for sure. And it and it has everything to do with social life. It has everything to do with relationships. It has everything to do with 
ease, meaning, and joy and mm-hmm. how we create those, but also how we think we're creating those. Yes. How we think about how we're creating those. Right. Yeah. Um, like, you know, well, we think that certain like money is going to bring us happiness. We think that success is going to bring us happiness. Mm-hmm. And in fact, power, power. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and in fact, a lot of that, uh, in fact, yeah, it, 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 it gives us the opposite. They also flag for us, you know, some other trends though, that have happened in addition to social media that are leading to this. And I think one of the, I think, you know, like one of them is this fact that people are less spiritual, right? Oh yeah. That, that, the faith communities yeah. are, do not have the place in our society that they had even 30 years ago. Right. 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 Yeah. And it's not just religion. It's faith of any kind. Mm-hmm. It's really that philosophical or faith life, but also and it has, you know, yeah, our how our connection to the to the philosophical or the faith life has been in decline family connections this is the part that was so shocking to me is that the data shows that people are less likely to have close relationships with their families Mm -hmm. which i was just like shocked yeah and people have fewer friends who know them very well right yep also been in decline and so and he you know he's like so we're in this position situation where human connection friendship deep quality a connection to faith is in decline and social media is Is on on the the rise rise. and as we have talked about before despite our best efforts on this podcast people have less of a sense that they're serving other people in their work Mm -hmm. so there is more of a disconnection with what they're doing for all of the eight hours Despite our very best efforts, right, here, friends. In addition to the, in addition to mm-hmm. the personal, and we, th- and we then turn to these surrogates mm-hmm. for connection, like you know Facebook or whatever, and you know Albert Brooks will say, "There's no tech that's going to solve this problem. There is no tech that is going to substitute for any of those for things. any of these things." Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, so the the focus on the our, our mindsets and our behaviors mm-hmm. to arrest this decline both in ourselves personally and in the you know in and socially in our greater community yeah mm-hmm. has been this quest of alberts and he writes a great article for the atlantic focusing on this and obviously he wrote this book and did a podcast with oprah that we can link to and did an hbr thing and yeah he did something in hbr as well yeah he's the guy's all over he's the place. all over the place he is all over the place and his message is pretty clear Right. The things that make us happy that we think are going to make us happy, like we just said, aren't. And rather, it's the it is what, Kirsten? It's faith, Mm -hmm. family, friends Mm -hmm. and work. And I that word faith for him is very clearly related to spirituality and for him and both Oprah Christianity, which, you know, I completely resonate with that. But I also think that faith can be any kind of philosophical outlook Mm-hmm. on your world yeah. right it could be nature it could be the universe it could be a benevolent whatever it could be a uh, you know a higher power any of that the interesting thing that oprah says in this book is she says that when she asks people what they want they tell her they want to be happy mm-hmm. but when she asks them what that means 
they're not able to answer her. Right. And so part of it is recognizing, like, what are the things that make us happy? And, of course, not money, power, pleasure, and fame, which are the things that we think are going to make us happy, or some of us think are going to make us happy. But these really kind of, you know, candidly, mundane, Mm -hmm. not very titillating or exciting or dramatic. There's no star power. Right. Um, behind there's no star power when you make a meal for your family right it's funny i i recall in the in the podcast one of them says you know look if i give a 20 year old a choice money fame and power or faith family friends and meaningful there's no choice for them there's no choice for them of course we're gonna go for go for the money fame power and think that we can create the other things and, and I don't know if they're mutually exclusive, but I think you have to start focusing on work that serves family, faith, and friends, obviously. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, when you do, it it provides this kind of conduit for happiness, happier. To it gives you happier. kind of the elements. It provides the elements of happiness. Yeah. but Happierness. Happierness. But it also brings us some very tangible or concrete things this that that again we've referenced several times and at the beginning of the show enjoyment mm-hmm. and satisfaction and meaning and that leap took me a minute oh yeah yeah right me too me too and so let's talk about you want to talk about those three let's talk yeah let's talk let's start with enjoyment okay because um i'll admit it i'm a total pleasure hound Mm. i'm a total pleasure hound like i love like really great sheets and a hot bath and really good smelling stuff and great food and really good wine and a great cocktail i'm a total in many ways a pleasure (laughs) hound right but i am not like that little rat in the maze that keeps hitting the lever for the dopamine for the dopamine until it kind of blows up his tiny little brain, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Because I think that this concept of just pleasure, it's it's an it's an animalistic thing. Yeah. Right? It's an it's a physical response, yeah. right? Yeah. And so in order to bring that just physical experience of pleasure into something more meaningful enjoyment enjoyment that is in more that is more lasting this is why drug addiction is such a problem right mm. because it's experience 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 with no kind of resolution or end mm-hmm. right but this is what i like so much about this book is that in pleasure becomes enjoyment which has a staying power mm-hmm. when you couple it with memory and connection. Yeah. Which to me was like, oh, yeah. Right. Like, I don't want to have a great glass of wine alone ever. I just want to talk with somebody else about it. Uh-huh. Or a great cocktail. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I do want to take a hot bath alone. I was going to say, are those nice sheets? Sometimes I really do not want to share I do those. like to share nine nine sheets occasionally. I really do like to talk about them. But yeah, I love that notion of like enjoyment is the pleasure you get mm-hmm. plus the people you enjoy it with mm-hmm. and the memories you make. And you know, they, they say in the book, and we, he says it in several interviews too, you never see a beer commercial with a guy sitting alone in his, his apartment, apartment drinking a 12-pack. Drinking a 12-pack. Yeah. 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 They're like, no, this is about have a cup, indulge a little bit, have something pleasurable, and create 
memories with people you love and you'll have enjoyment. And I also just want to call out too, that sometimes I am creating a connection with myself. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I'm having like my own little friendship with myself. Sure. Right. So I don't think that that just be, I don't think this means that, that the connection has to just be with other people. I think it can be that deep connection with yourself. Too. Okay. Okay. I'll, I, I will take it. Can you buy into that? I will. Can I'll, you buy into that? I will buy what you're selling, but <laughs> that it, this and when you do, right, this is kind of where the like, okay, let me back that up a teeny bit. And this notion of enjoyment while we're talking about it is the difference. The pleasure and enjoyment is the difference between the dopamine we get from the social media interaction. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's the pleasurable thing. And the enjoyment is actually doing the thing that people are taking the pictures of and posting on Instagram mm-hmm. and making those memories. Yeah. Okay. The Yeah. Did I, it, was that, a, I think you hit it. Was that an appropriate summary? This is my favorite one, by the way. Uh, enjoyment. Enjoyment of the enjoyment, satisfaction and meaning. I just love the enjoyment part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I did find that interesting. Um, he, he, t- he talked a little bit about addiction too, not just yes. drugs and alcoholic we have, but he was saying like, um, well, I don't know if we even want to go down that train, but I remember him saying something like short of the relationships that are built around the addiction. Right. Which are not about the relationships at all, but which, about the addiction. Right. Which right. are not about the play. Like, yeah, yeah. just you. So that, that's just, I guess, my one little asterisk yeah. to this whole thing about enjoyment is. You know, if you're drinking a 12 pack alone, it's not going to take pleasure, a pleasure. It's not going to take you from pleasure to enjoyment just by inviting your, you know, your other al- alcoholic al- friend over. Oh, friend over. Yeah. yeah so mm-hmm. but I do agree with you. That this is that was that was sort of that was an interesting way to think about the difference between pleasure and enjoyment for me. Like I said, absent the whole addiction part of it. The second one, satisfaction really I thought was interesting because it comes from this like progress towards the accomplishment, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. We tend to have more satisfaction from things that we struggle to attain, which makes total sense, right? It makes total sense. It always feels good to like accomplish something, to get through a tricky situation, to get through something that's hard or challenging, right? So we refer to it in our Ease meaning enjoy as ease, but we say like we don't say ease as in it's easy, right? We just mean we don't want you to beat your head against the wall, exactly. So it is a different kind of a word choice, and and I know why I picked ease because I'm super good at beating my head against the wall, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So for me, it is this about creating some ease, but that the satisfaction in in meeting a challenge, right? Right. Yes. It's juicy. It's juicy. But they also say that there is this arrival fallacy, right? Oh, that once yes. you finally, even if you struggle or not, once you finally get the money or the promotion or the job title or whatever, you're finally going to have satisfaction and to know it's in the journey. Mm-hmm. It's in the journey. Mm-hmm. Now he's a self-proclaimed workaholic and he'll, he kind of, uh, he does talk about being a little bit in his life at times, I think he calls it what the hedon, the, the hedonic Stri- treadmill. Yeah. He calls himself a striver. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, the curse is to, when you get on that hedonic tre- treadmill, hedonistic treadmill. I'm trying to remember what hedonic, what does hedonistic mean? It oh, means it's just like, it's, um, oh boy. Um, it's, it's which one of the, I was which like one of the, or like 
eaten pleasure and, seekers. Yeah, pleasure seekers. Yeah, they're yeah. pleasure seekers, and they just—it's hedonism is the presence of pleasure in the absence of pain in your life. Okay, and it's not—it's Epicurus. It's Epicurus. Okay, thanks. That was the philosopher. It's Thank Epicurus. Who got Thank, that done? Yeah, you wow, got that, figured that out. was tricky. So, but his point is, is that he was using striving yes as his dopamine yes and he was like and then you finally get the thing and then you that's not enough and so you go get for another more one get another one go for get more another go one for more. yeah um and he's saying yeah it doesn't give you very much satisfaction for very long so you keep striving 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 on that treadmill so the other piece of this and again i love that he was thinking of this from different angles is yes satisfaction comes from struggle but you cannot have a life of struggle. That's that right. hedonistic treadmill. Instead, you have to want less. Yes. He, right. Yes. Which was such an interesting mm-hmm. concept. Yes. You have to want less. Yes. He says you, your satisfaction is your haves, the things that you have divided by your wants. So if I have a hundred dollars, but I only want 50. You're pretty dang then happy. I'm really happy. But if I want a bazillion dollars and I only have 50. You're not happy. I am not happier. And he's saying, you got to, you got to, you got to manage that. Manage your wants. wants. Wants management strategy. Yeah. Do you really need it? Yeah. What will it give you? As opposed to kind of this mindless achieving. Yeah. 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 So that's satisfaction. And then there, of course, is meaning. Yeah. Which we did a whole freaking episode on. Which people loved. I mean, do we have to say anything more about this? People loved the I episode on meaning. I do believe there meaning. is 5,000 downloads of that episode. I do want to say, though, he has this one. I love, you know, I love metaphors. And he has this wonderful metaphor that runs through the book that he particularly uses around meaning, which he says, you know, all of these things are the nutrition yeah. That allows us to build this happier life, mm-hmm. right? He looks at meaning as the macronutrients of building a happier life. It's like the blueberries. And I mean, I know that's not a micronutrient, macronutrient, but you know what I mean? Like the really good for you. Yeah. Blueberries and almonds and sm- and salmon. And, you know, that meaning is that really fundamental thing that we have to have. And he says that you have to have an answer to this question. Why am I alive? And for what am I willing to die today? You know, that's too much for me. I don't want, I, yeah. it's too much for me. I mean, I get what he's saying, but it was too much for me. Yeah, that was heavy. It was very heavy. What I liked was that, why am I alive? Yeah. I don't need to die for anything, right? Yeah. That's not, I mean, I die for my kids for sure. There's lots of people, I, you know, I, but, but that's not really my thing in my head. It's like, no, why am I alive? Yeah. So I really like that. And I've spent a lot of time over my life on that question. Yeah. What is my purpose? Yeah. And it's fascinating that it has not changed very much yeah. in 25 years. That's pretty phenomenal. It's almost the same thing. And he's saying you don't have to know the answer to those questions, but you have to know whether you know the answer or not. Right? That Tell me more about that. Well, he's just saying... In striving for meaning, you can either answer the question for what would you die for today? You know, what would you die for mm-hmm, today or mm-hmm, why are you mm-hmm. here? But you could also know that you don't know the answer and be working on it. Yes, 
Absolutely. Yeah. Be introspective about it. Yeah. 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 Ask yourself a lot of questions, which all kind of leads us to work. Right. Yes. Which is where we're where we like to focus. And he does a lot of work around work. And he does a lot around work around work, too. In fact, you know, we'll um, link to the Harvard Business Review article where he does a great interview and talks specifically about this. And he's saying, OK, all of that, all of those pillars and the family, friends, connection, meaningful work, you know, ease, meaning and joy or satisfaction, meaning and purpose. What was it? Satisfaction? Enjoyment. Enjoyment. Jeez, I know. I'm, seriously, it's almost six o'clock. You know my brain stops working. Um, but he says at work, when you think specifically about about work, two things show up in the happiest workers. And those are the people who um, are, feel like they're earning their success. Mm-hmm. Again, meaning like they really truly are creating value and people who feel like they are serving people so that they're needed. Right now, I want to I just want to spend two minutes on this because there are some clarifications I want to make. He's saying, first of all, people who are happy at work feel like they're earning their success, but it's not like it doesn't depend on output or corporate approval or any traditional Mm -hmm. metric of workplace productivity. He's not saying, are you earning your keep? He's saying that doing your job without taking shortcuts and not just because you want to, because you, because you want to do a good job, not because you're trying to climb a ladder. That's what he means by earning your success, right? He means doing your work of a high quality, being creating value, creating value. Mm -hmm. It's like when I remember we were talking about the like quit your job episode, like how to quit your job episode. And it's like, you do a great job up until the very last day. You kill it. You kill it. Like when you decide you're going to leave, kick it into high gear. Right. <laughs> do some good. That's what he's saying. People who feel like they're earning their success in that way. Not not necessarily the people who are like workaholics and cranking out on the hamster wheel. He also says, you know, at the end of the day, and I really liked this. Oh, I love what he said at yeah, the end of the day. People who can end their workday, you know, confidently saying, I did my work with love and excellence. That's what he's talking about. People, you know, earning I your success. I did my work with love and with excellence. Yeah. Which works in any job. Any job. I don't care where. It's the it's the people that do the cleaning in the hospital that we've talked about before. Yes. It's the people who answer the phones. It's the lawyer who's sitting in the meeting talking about how, what somebody is going to do with this property that they've farmed and lived on for 40 years. It's all, I mean, can you walk out of the door and say, I did this day with love and with excellence. Exactly. So that's number one. That's some sweetness there. That's some good stuff. That's some really good that sweetness. That is good, some good stuff. The second one is, you know, feeling like you serve people and so that you're needed. And again, this isn't because the only people who are happy in their jobs are those that are working in social services mm-hmm. or those that are, you know, solving the world's problems. No. He's saying, in fact, there are very few of the few of us doing that kind of work. And instead... You really what he means is serving people, making a difference in the lives of some, Mm -hmm. even if it's your coworkers and serving and and serving really comes from how you do your job, not necessarily what your job is. Exactly. Which is so cool, right? Yeah. So cool. It's it's 
yeah, are you serving other, are you serving your coworkers? Are you serving your customers? Are you serving yourself? You know, those kinds of things. Whether so. you're putting a new roof on somebody's house, he says, mm-hmm. whether you work in a bank or whether you're raising children, whatever it is you're doing, can you say at the end of the day that you've done your work with love and with excellence? And serve and service, service. And what I just love so much about this is that, um, and service, yes, yeah. and service. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and he's saying he believes that that can be done in a way that you uh, that service to others is loving everybody with your ordinary, sanctified work. Sanctified. He's all about love. I and also like there's this piece of sanctity, which means reverence. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. there's a reverence for it, mm-hmm. and I just think this approach to work. I mean, I think this is what we have been talking about yeah. for all of these years now is the sanctity of work, right? Mm-hmm. And to see that in this book was like just so fun and affirming. Mm-hmm. It was just really affirming. And those things are going to get you meaning. Those things are going to get you satisfaction and enjoyment mm-hmm. for sure. And other practices. Yep. And so this is the thing in the book that I have really decided to latch on to this year. Yeah. I really have. And tell me more. Starting with delight, right? I love that. I'm going to go from like this kind of savoring or seeing concept to delight. But this concept of metacognition, I've been, you know, I'm a regular meditator. Mm -hmm. Granted, it's 10 minutes a day, four or five times a week, but I'm still meditating. But this like feels to me like the next step mm-hmm. what feels like the next Medica- step? this this metacognition so yeah. one of the things that oprah and albert think is the key to getting happier is this concept called metacognition which is really learning how to experience your emotions not as they're delivered to you right yep. just like pumping through your body with this hormone, blood pressure, whatever, but to process process them in your prefrontal frontal cortex so that you can decide how to react, yep. how to substitute other emotions, or how to ignore the emotion on purpose. Like when you hate everybody when you walk Let's in my house. Let's use that for <laughs> illustration purposes. Kirsten hates everybody. That is a very negative emotion. So the ability to, so metacognition is just the ability to step back from your own emotions and choose something else. Right. Right. To step back and say, wait a minute, I'm going to stop and observe. I have this irritation, anger, frustration and that is information mm-hmm. it's just information that's information it's just right information there. that's right is there anything that i need to act on immediately mm-hmm. nope nope i'm not in danger i'm okay just irritated frustrated pissed whatever yeah. it is yes and uh, the way that's like he describes them he and oprah describe them as they're a tap on your shoulder yeah. or a nudge in your ribs to get your attention and they should not be your North Star. Yes. They're not your North Star. No. So being metacognitive is being able to st- pause, observe your emotions as they're coming, mm-hmm. and then and then make a different choice. Or make a choice. Not mm-hmm. even different, but make a choice about whether you want to express those emotions as they came to you or edit them. Yep. And making a choice about whether you want to learn something from them. 
Right? Yes. Now, like I say, when you, you asked me that wonderful question, what's this really about? Well, it's of course, it's about me. But I, so when I think about this, there's nothing for me to respond to. Yeah. There's nothing I need to do. There's nothing unsafe. There is probably a lesson for me to learn here. Yeah. I'm just not ready to learn it yet. You can learn that later. I'm going to sit down on Sunday. I'm going to do my journaling. I'm going to figure out why I'm irritated. Right? Yeah. So I don't have to do anything with it today. Right. And I can, well, we'll get to the laughing part, but I can laugh at myself and be like, KB, you are a nut. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay. So just information, tap on the shoulder, something's going on. What's my choice? Because by the way, I don't want to sit here and be irritated, frustrated, angry, whatever. I don't, those feelings do not serve me in this moment. Right. They do not serve me and they are certainly not making me happier. Mm Mm-hmm. So what's the, so what do we do next? Well, I think you remember that uh, emotions have a purpose and ask yourself later, you know, if there's something to learn, something to do, and then you address or approach them, you know, when you're, when you've calmed down. Mm -hmm. I, I think that, you know, and, and I want to talk just briefly about this notion of metacognition in relation. You said you were adopting it and you've been thinking about it a lot. In terms of yourself, right? Yes. You're seeing your own emotions kind of waft come in front of you or, or you're experiencing them in, the, in them in your body and you're starting to get better at, I'm going to say you're probably already really good at it, but getting even better at asking yourself, is it serving me? Do I want to feel this way? Do I have a choice? Can I change it? And sometimes I honestly, part of my question is, am I making shit up? Oh, well, yeah. Because occasionally like somebody will do something and I'll have this reaction. And then I'm like, I said to myself, why are you reacting like this? What assumptions are you making? And why do you care? Yeah. Yeah. Right. But this, this is, I think kind of, I mean, I, I don't over, I don't think people would call me I'm expressive. I think you're reactionary, but I'm not reactive. Yeah. But I think I can do more. I think we can do more to bring more of this goodness into our lives and get rid of those things that don't serve us by keeping us safe or teaching us lessons that are just irritants in our life. Right. And I would say I have been doing less observing in my own self and more observing in other people because that's the way I like to do it. Well, also too, that's your work, right? Yeah. Your work is trying to figure out why people are are engaging in destructive or or not helpful or behavior that is negative. You know what I'm trying to say. Well, I'm also watching all of the stories that people tell and how they get so flippin' worked up over certain Mm. things. And, you know, I'm always, I've always been the kind of person who was like, oh, I didn't read the email like that. Well, I didn't hear that in that meeting because I feel like I observe things and I respond, you know, like I, I don't have the like I don't my uh, m- the mercury doesn't go, you know, blow out of the thermostat mm-hmm. thermometer anytime anybody slights me. You know, I just kind of let it flow off. But I'm watching all these other people having that same kind of situation. Like, why aren't you observing? Your, what what is going on with you that you're just so over the top in every way possible? And. It is interesting to like, I think, observe it in ourselves and in others. But I'm telling you, when you watch it in other people, it's fascinating. It's isn't it? fascinating. I don't even have a conclusion about that. I'm just telling you that I do. And I want to give them some tools to become more aware, to become more cog- like metacognitive, because what I'm seeing is at work and the impact is huge. And it reminds me of that study that... Um, 
Oh yes, like this, like the sadness is catching. What was it? Framingham, Massachusetts. This yeah, is a great it, study. It was a study that took over 50 years and it was really set up to take a Very look at people's study. lives and all these things. But what they started to look, and they wanted to look at, at whether or not certain things were what they called socially contagious. And they started by looking at things like obesity or other health related things. But what they rapidly become, became aware of was that emotions are also socially contagious. And so in a workplace where I'm seeing people responding and reacting in these reactionary ways, I'm thinking you're crafting a workplace simply by your behavior. If mm -hmm. you were only able to be, to employ some metacognition and choose, strategically choose how you want to behave or how you want to respond or which emotions you want to feel right now, we could impact, significantly impact the workplace. And I'll tell you, Happiness is socially contagious, but even more so is misery, mm. according to this study. Agreed. And again, when, when you're at work, you know, and we are trying to think about serving people with excellence and love and engaging in ways that are shifting this trend of unhappiness, recognizing that the inability to regulate oneself has a significant impact on you and others. Yeah? Yeah. That's all. I mean, I, okay. No, absolutely. And I do think that's one of the, that's yet another, I mean, and we know that the data says that we are less happy. Yeah. And that tells me that, you know, we really need to be intentional. Yep. And deliberate with our time and our energy mm -hmm. about how it is we experience the world. Yes. Right. Like yep. we need to do a, you know, I don't know what you, how you call it, do a hard right into that. Like just, you know, lean into that. And I, cause there is no question when people are pissed at work about something, it's really hard to be happy. Yes. It's really hard. It is socially contagious. I mean, I love that. It's one of my new favorite phrases. And you you do have a choice. You do have a choice according to science. You have a choice according to Albert, who is a scientist. And Oprah. And Oprah. Mm -hmm. And, it, you know, it's doing things like being metacognitive. And it's also help. And it's also um, engaging in a gratitude practice. Or a delight practice. Or a delightful practice. Or for me, I'm going to take this kind of why I hate everybody and I'm going to do some journaling about it, right? Yes. And maybe it's Sunday, maybe it's in two Sundays. I don't know, but I'm going to figure out like, what was that all about? But in the meantime, I've recognized that feeling, yeah. right? I've been like, okay, here it is. What is this really about? Well, it's about you and you don't want to think about it right now, Kirsten. So what are you going to do instead, which is to choose other emotions yes to turn your attention elsewhere i one of my friends elizabeth said this amazing thing she said strength is the ability to turn your attention i love that mm -hmm. i think i've said it on the podcast before because i'm obsessed with it mm -hmm. and this is the same thing like we have the ability to choose another emotion or an experience. Like for me, I laughed at myself because I suspect I'm probably the asshole here. Yeah. Right. And that to me was like, oh, you're the asshole here, Kirsten. Sure. Um, 
And then I can, once I laugh or once I change my focus, then I can start to see and experience other things. Oh, I've just arrived with my dear, dear friend to do our podcast. And this is super fun. And I really like this. And now I'm in this moment yeah. and I'm not just pissed. Right. Yeah. And if we have a gratitude practice, if we, if we have created this wonderful bank of emotions that we can draw on relationships, experiences, then we can move ourselves out of, I hate everybody yeah, and into something that is, has much more happierness yeah, to it. Which is far, far more, mm-hmm. ha- far mm-hmm. more happy. Mm-hmm. And, 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 uh, it really reminds me of this quote that you also pasted at the bottom of our show notes. And I feel like I would love to end with that. It's end with it. It's a, fantastic quote are you saying it no you say it uh victor frankel said that all human freedoms can be taken away except the choice on what your attitude is in any given set of circumstances what you turn your attention to and remember this was the man that was in a concentration camp and did not know if his wife and his children or any of his family was still alive yeah and he basically created an experience in that setting Mm -hmm. by doing exactly this, choosing what to focus his attention on, choosing his attitude in any given circumstance. Yeah. And I think to myself all the time when I get like, you know, pissy because yeah, I'm like Victor Frankel, the line at the Starbucks is too long. Yeah. Victor Frankel. Yeah. Let's end with Victor Frankel and the power of that statement. Yeah. And boy, I'm sure going to hope and, send great energy into the world that we shift our experience of happiness yeah because we need some more of that we need to be happier for sure Mm -hmm. all right friends we will talk to you in two weeks thanks for listening thanks for listening bye Karina and Kirsten Get to Work is recorded and produced by yours truly, Karina Hoyer and Kirsten Barron. Find all of our episodes anywhere you listen to podcasts you can also find us on YouTube Facebook Twitter, Instagram, on our website, or email us at yougettowork at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 